Good morning. That was delayed. Let's try again. Good morning. Uh, well, it looks like we've got technology working today, so hopefully it'll stay working and uh, we'll get through without any mis- Uh Before we begin, let's uh, commit our time now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you, the one who gives us truth and who gives us life. And we pray this morning as we come to your word, as we hear from you and your spirit, that you would speak to us. Help us to hear. Help us to see. Help us to taste how good you are. And Father, I pray that this morning you will speak and that my words would diminish in light of your words. And so I pray that your truth will shine before us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a fraud. At least sometimes I feel like a fraud calling myself a Christian. I feel like my life is this horrible mess compared to the gospel life Jesus calls me to live. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you look at Christians around you and you wonder if they're really Christians. Now, I can't speak for them, neither can I judge them. I'm far from perfect myself. Last week, we saw that the gospel should sound forth. It should overflow out of the Christian life into the world. And we are to be people who not only live out the gospel, but share the gospel too. There are times that I would guilt trip myself into sharing the gospel because it's the Christian thing to do. Uh, I remember during uni, uh, I was part of student life, power to change as it is now, and we would go around campus week to week and we would look for opportunities to connect with people and find opportunities to share our faith. And I remember one time I invited a friend to go play pool uh, down in the pool hall at uni uh, so I could strike this conversation with him about Jesus. And in doing that, I totally freaked out. I totally freaked out and just blurted out everything I wanted to say. I don't even remember what I said now. It was, quite, it was a while ago. But I do remember that I felt really awkward any time that he was around for the next few weeks. Can I just say, don't ever guilt trip yourself into doing evangelism. It doesn't work. As we continue through 1 Thessalonians, please have it open there. Uh, we see that Paul, Paul and his ministry is open to criticism. And it seems as though he's being labelled as a religious fraud, a swindling, deceptive cheat. And as we live out the Christian life, as we seek to live out the gospel, are we frauds? Or are we trying to be genuine in the way that we live? What are the marks of the genuine gospel life that we see here? As we look at Paul's example... um, I want to look at our agenda. What is our agenda? Genuine boldness, genuine motivation, and genuine approval. All asking this question, what is God's agenda for us as we seek to live out the gospel life? What is boldness? 
The Oxford Dictionary defines boldness as the willingness to take risks and act innovatively. Confidence or courage. As Christians, we are to be marked, we are to be characterized, we are to be set apart by a kind of courage. Risk takers for the sake of the gospel. Um, I like the, the new NIV that Grace read to us. It uses this word daring. Verse 2, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. We dared to tell you the gospel. Paul reminds the Thessalonians he shared in their opposition and suffering. We saw that in chapter 1. And before even getting to Thessalonica, you can read this in Acts. He faced opposition almost everywhere he went. He faced opposition in Philippi before he gets to Thessalonica. And yet, despite his opposition and suffering, he dares to share the gospel with the Thessalonian church and with others. Now, before you go thinking that this is the great fearless Paul, the great apostle Paul, of course he was bold and courageous. This is what he says to the Ephesians. To that end, he's talking about um, prayer here. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications, making prayers for all the saints and also for me. Why? That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's not fearless. He needs prayer to be bold. And he says the same thing in other letters. In Acts 4, we see the early church, Peter and John, out sharing the gospel, preaching, and the Jewish authorities arrest them. And after they were released, they prayed this, Acts 4.29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Our boldness, our courage, our daring in sharing the gospel and living out the Christian life is not without fear. It's not without fear. But neither does this boldness, this courage, this daring come from self, some self-determination. There's no self-generating force to cause you to be bold and courageous and daring for the gospel. It doesn't work. You can guilt trip yourself all you want. You can self-motivate yourself all you want. But that's not where godly, gospel, boldness, courage and daring comes from. Where does it come from? Verse 2. Boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. It comes from God. If it was up to us, we'd never share the gospel. And I think most of us can say that's true. As far as it's up to us, we don't share the gospel. Somehow we believe that it's up to us to convince people of the good news. Or that somehow we need to be good enough in our Christian life to share the gospel. We need to be good enough to tell people about how amazing and how much joy and blessing we find in Jesus. Or on the other hand, we fear how people will react and respond to us. Or we feel fear that we might look bad. Or we fear that we might not say the right words. 
or whatever other fear, you can fill in the gaps there. Now these fears are perfectly rational and understandable. I'm not trying to discount them. The fears are real. But if we believe, if we truly believe that the gospel is true, that we live in a broken and a sinful world, and the only solution to that is found in Jesus, in his life, in his death and resurrection, we can't just sit on our butts and do nothing. We tell people about the best places to eat and drink. We share recipes that we find. We tell them that the shops have great sales on. We tell people where to find great deals. But when it comes to something of eternal consequence, we don't open our mouths. Paul writes to Timothy in his second letter, God gave us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul asks the church to pray for him through the Holy Spirit, he would be bold and full of courage to share the gospel. What does that look like? I was trying to think of a picture to to try and picture what this looks like. Let me show you this video and hopefully it loads up. All that for 15 seconds, but hey. Jesus Christ. You know what, what, what one of the names that we call him? The Lion of Judah. Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, through the enabling and power of his Holy Spirit, roars boldly, courageously and daringly over our own weak and feeble gospel roars. That's kind of what I picture, that as we seek to live out the Christian life, in all our weakness, in all our brokenness, in all our feebleness, the Holy Spirit of God comes and He just roars over at the top of us. That's got nothing to do with us. We can say whatever we want, we can do whatever we want in our weakness and our brokenness, and the Holy Spirit comes and goes, let me take care of this. And the boldness, the courage and the daring of the Holy Spirit comes through. As we seek to live out the Christian life and share the gospel, we pray that the Holy Spirit which lives within us and fills us with his power will give us the boldness, the courage and the daring despite our fear and weakness. And if the likes of Paul pray for boldness, courage and strength to live out and share the gospel, how much more do we need it? How much more do we need it? I need it. I need your prayers that I would be bold and courageous each time I open my mouth. Questions? Anybody? You don't have to send them through. You can ask me straight up if you want. Do I have any practical examples of when we guilt trip ourselves? Discerning, sorry. Do I have any practical examples of how we discern between guilt tripping and genuine gospel evangelism? 
I think if you were to be honest with yourself, you'd know. Um, I think most people are fairly aware enough that they know when they're guilt-tripping themselves into doing something. Um, Because when you start guilt-tripping yourself, there's an element of shame. Um, There's an element of fear. um, That builds on itself, it just piles up on itself. I think we know what guilt feels like. Um, Now, that doesn't say that we don't look for opportunities to push ourselves. I think that's what I want to distinguish. There's guilt tripping yourself and saying, I really need to do this because it's the Christian thing to do. But then there's the genuine desire to go, I really believe that the gospel is worthwhile and I want to share it. Um, I think we can lay aside that guilt. If, if we recognize that, I, I really want to share the gospel. It doesn't discount the fear. I think the fear is going to be there still. But when that genuine desire is there, and we'll come back to this at the end, it's coming back and saying, okay, God, I want to share your gospel. I want to share this good news with other people. Help me to do it. Give me the boldness. Give me the courage. Give me that daring to do that. Um, because I think we know when we're guilt-tripping ourselves. Um, I don't... Yeah. Does that help? Any other questions? Alright. If you've ever got questions, just shoot them through, because I'll see it up here, um, and you don't need to wait. Well, let's move on. So why then, if we don't guilt trip ourselves, why then do we eventually share the gospel? Well, it's either because we're convinced of the need to share the gospel, or as I've just said, because we feel guilty and we guilt trip ourselves into sharing the gospel. Don't guilt trip yourself into doing evangelism. It doesn't, it doesn't help. Now, the gospel message is not a sales pitch. I want us to understand this. The gospel is not a sales pitch. We don't get commission when we share the gospel. We don't get some heavenly or earthly blessing because we share the gospel with people. That's not how it works. We don't get an extra crown in heaven by sharing the gospels. Missionaries don't get special privileges because they give their lives to share the gospel. I don't get an extra room or some great treasure chest when I get to heaven because I'm a pastor. It's not how it works. The gospel's not a sales pitch. But here Paul is being criticised because some people believe that he was preaching the gospel for his own gain. They lumped him in with other religious and philosophical teachers who tried to take advantage of people they taught. And it's sad to say that that still happens today. People preach the gospel for their own personal gain. We're not like salespeople who knock door to door or stand in the shopping centres trying to sell a product or a service or donate to some cause. I feel for them. They only get paid if someone actually buys into what they're trying to sell. So cut them to the They've got But that's not the Christian gospel. We're not there to give a sales pitch and gain some sort of commission from it. The true Christian gospel, the genuine gospel, is not made, motivated by personal gain of any kind. Let's have a look at verse 3 and 5. 
For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. In Acts chapter 8, we read the story of a man called Simon, a magician. And this is what it says. He, um, he's the gospel, he comes to accept it, and then he sees the apostles come. And this is what happens. Now, Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying of hands. He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. The response is pretty severe. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Now, fortunately, the story goes on, and it seems that Simon wants to repent of this. But there are plenty of people like Simon who try and profit from the gospel today. Now, we need to check our motivations for sharing the gospel. We're not out to trick people into accepting the gospel. There's no benefit in doing that. We're not out to gain anything, whether that's material or spiritual, by sharing the gospel. And we're not out to please people with our actions and our good deeds. Likewise, we shouldn't be motivated by fear or guilt or obligation. Whether that's fear of God, or whether that's fear of what other people, particularly Christians, might think of us. Instead, we should be motivated by genuine love for the people around us. And we're going to look at that more next week. Help each other. Help each other to do this. Encourage and support each other as we seek to live out and share the gospel. I've said it again and again. We can't do this on our own. You get to keep me in check. You have the right to question my motivations. And if there's ever any doubt, you have the right to question it. So... Keep those motivations in check. There's no personal gain here when we come and share the gospel. Any questions? I think, I'll, I'll say this first. People in leadership and ministry, I think should have, you should have the right to go, hold on a second, you did this, you know, why are you doing this? And I think that's really what it's all about. It's just like, why are you doing this? Um, and I think you're, it's a good question to ask because we need to be careful that we're not bringing judgment into the equation. Um, but what we do want to do is come alongside people like, why are you doing this? You know, you've, you know you're, you're really hesitant or 
you know, you, we look for things that we can go, well, I see this, why is that? Because what we want to do in discovering that is not to judge them or criticize them, but to come behind them and say, okay, how can I encourage you? How can I support you? Right, so the point of bringing this motivation up with people is not to bring guilt into the equation and judge them, but to help them and to support them and encourage them. And when so we ask that question, I was like, well, why are you doing this? You know, I see you doing this and it kind of results in this. Why are you doing that? And in doing that, wanting to come alongside them and say, well, okay, so how can I encourage you? How can I support you so that you can walk forward and, and grow and learn from all of this? Um, so I think simply, it's just asking that question, why? So why are you doing this? And hopefully having a relationship where you can unpack that um, is the best place to do that. Any other questions? All right, well, let's move on to the next part as well. It's always amusing to watch the things couples do for each other when they're courting or dating. Um, I think Jesse used this illustration a few weeks ago. They do things that they wouldn't normally do, at least for other people. I find it, I don't know what you think, but I also find it amusing watching people trying to get the perfect selfie or the perfect food shot. Um, the faces they make, the poses they strike. Um, I remember when we were in Melbourne a few weeks ago, we were at a restaurant and there's this little kid, he's maybe 10 or 11, and he's like going around the table, he's like climbing on the chair. I'm like, why do people do that? Now, whether that's for the likes, the followers, or just for their own self-pleasure, why do people go to such lengths? Is it for approval, acceptance, identity, love, a desire to please other people? We live in a society that is confused, looking to find approval from any source they can get. Most Christian society, it used to be that people would just say, do what makes you happy. But in recent years, people are starting to say, do what makes you happy, but it's going to cause problems if it makes me unhappy. And they try and label it tolerance. For Christians, we are called to put one relationship above all others our relationship with our Creator, our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Our thoughts, our lives, our actions are directed towards Him because of the amazing grace and love He's demonstrated to us through His life, death and resurrection. Now this isn't an act of obligation. right? We're not guilt-tripped or fear-driven or obligated into this. It's a response of gratitude and service. We seek to please God because of all He's done for us. Now, this doesn't mean that we just ignore people or discount people or we don't actually try and, and please people because Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offence to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God just as I try to please everyone in everything I do 
not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. We seek to serve God first, not people. Though in pleasing and serving God, we also seek to please people for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of their salvation. Now, that doesn't mean we compromise on God or the gospel. But as far as we're able, we seek not to offend them. Paul's point here is our first priority is to please God and not people. Look at verse 4 and 6. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. Verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. As I thought about this, there was a song that came to mind. Um, it's called Audience of One. It's by Big Daddy Weave. Um, I'm just going to play... Um, So I want to play verse 2 and the chorus um, of the song. You know what? I'm not going to waste my time. Let me read the words to you. So what would I bring to honour your majesty? What song could I sing that would move the heart of royalty? When all that I have is this life that you've given me. So Lord, let me live for you my song with humility. To the audience of one, to my audience of one, you are Father and you are Son as your Spirit flows free. Let it find within me a heart that beats to praise you. And now just to know you more has become my great reward to see your kingdom come and your will be done. I only desire to be yours, Lord. Paul was likely being accused for looking for the praise of men. He says it himself, I try to please everyone in everything I do. But he makes it abundantly clear that his first and primary audience is his God, his Lord and his Saviour just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. It's God who approves us and tests our hearts, not other people. That's God's job. It's easy to look to other people for approval, whether, whoever that might be. It would be really easy for me to say the things that make you feel good. That always encourage you, that leave you feeling like everything's okay. And I'll be honest, I want you to like me. That would be nice. But at the end of the day, that's not why I'm here. I'm not here for your approval, I'm here for God's approval. And for the sake of the gospel it's going to mean that I will say some hard and difficult things. 
What's more, when we seek God's approval over people, it actually makes life easier. Seeking God's approval is easier than seeking people's approval. How is that? When we're approved and tested by God, we have a God who knows all things. He knows everything. His objective. We have a God who is merciful and gracious. He is fair and just. That's how God. You tell me a person who's like that. You tell me a person who is objective and impartial, gracious and merciful, fair and just. You tell me one person like that. Whose approval do you want? Do you want the approval of someone who is going to treat you with justice and fairness, mercy and grace, or do you want someone who's going to change their mind every five seconds? When we seek God's approval over people, it makes life a lot easier. We're free from people's criticisms. We're free from their judgment and some unspoken measure of approval and acceptance. We're free when we seek God's approval and not man's. If we seek to live out the gospel, seek to live out the Christian life, we seek the approval of the God who saved us, who gave his life on the cross for us. So let me ask you, who or what do you live for? Your parents? Family? Your children? Maybe yourself? Other people maybe? Money, prestige, status, success. Where are you trying to find acceptance and approval? What questions might you have? All right, let's wrap this up. We're running over time. Um, first and foremost, pray. And this isn't just some generic prayer. Pray that the Holy Spirit will give you boldness, courage and daring to live and share your faith. Pray specifically that God will do that. When Joshua was given the task of leading the Israelites after Moses, God says to him, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus echoes these words, do not fear. I don't know how many times he does that. He does that numerous times when he meets with other people. Do not fear. And before he leaves this earth, he reminds the disciples that I am with you always to the end of the age. So pray. Pray that you will have opportunity to share your faith even this week, but also the courage to do it by the work and power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, get your motivation and your audience right. Check your motivations. Now, this is a constant battle of the heart and the spirit. And we need to keep these things in check. Why am I doing this? Whose approval am I looking for? Ask these questions of yourself. Come back to the gospel. Come back to Jesus, not people. If you're looking to be a blessing to people, start with Jesus, not them. Start with the good news of the gospel, not the circumstances 
or needs in other people's lives. Start with this. Start with God. Start there. Last week we saw that we are to imitate Jesus. Look at the way that he lived. On one occasion Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. God is your only audience, and your only motivation is one of gratitude to all that he has done for you. So I'm not a fraud, after all. I am a sinner saved by grace. I make mistakes. But I am saved by the blood of Jesus. I am redeemed by his blood. And you know what? He gives me his mark of approval. And that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells within each one of us who calls Jesus our Lord and Savior. And that is his mark of approval. That is his seal. And when we keep our eyes on Jesus, seeking only his approval, checking that our hearts aren't self-serving, but seeking to serve Jesus and others. When we commit ourselves to the Holy Spirit in prayer, instead of relying on our own strength, knowledge and wisdom, then we're free. We're free to live out and share the gospel without fear, but with boldness, courage and daring. And so thank God that no matter how weak you are or what you think or feel about yourself, God's grace is enough. Let me finish with the words of Paul. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it is you, in you, and by you and your Holy Spirit that we can be bold, courageous, and daring to share and to live out our faith, to share and to live out the gospel that you have given to us in the Lord Jesus. So I pray that by the power and enabling of your Holy Spirit that you will give us this boldness, this courage and this daring as a church and as individual people that you would give us this courage to speak your gospel and your news of Jesus. Help us to submit our fear to you. Help us to submit our fear of failure, of seeking approval from others. Help us to submit them to you. And so we pray that we might see you at work in us and through us in the week to come. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.